Hello and welcome to another episode of the All Show Podcast. My name is Wendy Lesishi. And I'm George Minnie. And today we're talking about long-term car value. Lots to talk about on that. I feel like it's one of the most uh, asked questions on all squad traders. So we'll be just talking about which car really loses its uh, value the fastest. And we'll be speaking to brands. I think brands just keep it holistic. And then we'll talk about the three reasons which may impact the value of your vehicle. Then we have a new segment which we'll, we'll talk about, which is just some some... Some interesting news you may not have heard yet, George, um, which you may find really interesting. And then lastly, of course, we'll get into F1 because last week we didn't get to really unpack that. And I think there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but yeah, off the cuff, what car brand loses the fastest value? What do you think is the, the, the brand in South Africa specifically that loses the, the value the fastest? What car brand loses value the fastest? Um, in South Africa, and I, I, I think this is, um, country to country. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, it depends on the market. And I would say in South Africa, if I had to kind of like look at, you know, I, I suppose I'm a little bit biased, not biased, but um, because we look at the data all the time, you know, uh, usually it's the French brands yeah. for some reason um, that lose value the fastest. Yeah. You know, and that yeah. changes, it ebbs and flows. Like for instance, I would have imagined that the Chinese brands lost value the fastest a couple of years ago until Haval entered the the country. And now I would say mm. because of the demand, um, Haval's probably going to retain value a little bit better because there's high demand. So I think mm-hmm. it depends on demand and supply. Um, but I would say the French brands more than likely. Yeah. I think, I think you answered something there. I think maybe I should have started with asking you, what makes a car depreciate faster? Because that way, I think we give a little bit of context with regards to why a specific brand would lose its value quickest. So in your expert opinion, over the last few years, what sort of things would impact the you know, the value of your vehicle in the long term? Because a lot of people are buying cars, but I think one of the things that people ask is, when I want to resell it or when I want to sell it again, um, what do I need to take in consideration? I mean, let's be honest. Toyota is the benchmark for a brand that has been able to drive, um, you know, retention of value, the the, the slowest depreciation um, of any car brand. Mm. Toyota has been the one that's been able to hold up their car values the, the best. I'd say another car brand that holds up its values – um, you know, up there with 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 all the others is Porsche. Um, yeah, and I I think it goes down. It's 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 down to less about the actual reliability of the car and more the perceived value of the of the of the car itself. Um, mm. And that then goes down to how the car is marketed. Um, but that's a short term fix. Yeah. I think I think it's a short term fix because. You can market something, but if the product then doesn't live up to what you're marketing, um, you're going to lose brand value and then lose demand. So at the end of the day, it all comes down to consumer demand. That's what value retention, if you want to call it that, is going to, is going to come down to is consumer demand. If there's a high demand by the consumer that's actually using the product, you're going to have a high value retention or should I say less depreciation over time. 
I mean, all cars are depreciating assets. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, but you're going to retain the value of the car um, if you've got high consumer demand. The moment consumer demand falls off, then the car loses value because nobody wants a bloody thing. Um, Toyota's been able to hold it up for a long time, and and that's largely down to mid-sized, you know, um, to entry-level cars retaining value yeah. for a long time. And their their claim to fame seems to be reliability. So, so again, you market the fact mm. that it's reliable. You get word of mouth, which is the best marketing tool. The car then becomes reliable. Uh, speaks to mm-hmm. that marketing message, and then and then it becomes a truth in the consumer's mind. Um, you know, and and Porsche has been able to do a very similar thing. I think Porsche has done a similar thing, but um, there's something else which, well, you spoke to perception, which I think kind of highlights that. But basically, our journalists at Autotrade decided to go and do a little bit of a check, looking at historic data, looking at what's happening right now, and of course, what the market is saying in terms of perceived value um of of i guess the good which is the car this time but we've got they've kind of split it up into three different categories um and the first one is mitigating circumstances which speaks to age mileage um and i guess the the maintenance and reliability of it which we've kind of spoken to so that's the first thing you know the age the mileage um and just the perceived value in terms of how reliable it is and with that being said i mean that's why toyota is you know, arguably one of the most popular brands in South Africa, if not the most popular brand in South Africa. So I agree with that fully, 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 fully. Yeah, um, I mean, but there's something else which you didn't mention. I thought she would. I thought she'd mention it. Uh-huh. I thought she'd mention one other thing, and that's in terms of cars that are manufactured in the country. That is another thing that has a significant impact. Well, when I mention French on, brands, right, that's imported. I mean, there's no French brands exactly. made in South exactly, Africa. Yeah. So, so. Uh, all imported brands in any country are going to, I think, depreciate faster than uh, brands manufactured in the country. And um, and and what's the reason for that? It's probably parts and um, you know down to perception around waiting for things. Um, so if you crash a you know an, an imported car, for instance, you might wait for parts. And that eventually mm-hmm. filters down to the consumer's perception of the brand. It's like, ah, oh, you know, this bloody brand. And there might be nothing wrong with the bloody thing. Always have to wait. Always have to exactly. wait. Exactly. That kind of like that perception then plays into demand because now people won't demand those cars anymore uh, or demand less of yep. them, should I say. And then that plays into then uh, value retention or should I say pricing, um, retail price retention. So, so yes, you're right. Um, I, I, I believe that that's the case. The, the, the cars manufactured in the country are going to, by definition, retain value because you're going to have more availability of parts. You're going to have quicker service turnaround times. You're going to have less of a, mm-hmm. a block in the pipeline, um, whereas it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Look at COVID as an example, mm-hmm. or should I say the lockdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, the cars that would have suffered the most are those that would have had to have parts imported versus parts that are fitted 100%. from South African sources. Um, yeah. I mean, so, so I agree with that. We absolutely saw that. We absolutely did. Yeah. I mean, if I look at the cars that have, you know, do less damage in terms of the value and depreciation, Toyota, Volkswagen, BMW, Mercedes, Ford, Nissan, and Isuzu, all of those brands are manufactured here. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think it's coincidence that that's the case. 
Uh, whereas if you look at the cars that depreciate a little bit faster, Jaguar, Land Rover, Alpha, Citroen, Peugeot, Jeep, Renault, the French, <laughs> the French companies, <laughs> um, they they get hit. Nothing against France. Nothing, nothing, else... nothing against France. It's just it's no, just it's just economics. <laughs> it's just economics. That's all it is. Hundred um, percent. And I think I had a friend, for instance. Let me give you a story. I I know somebody who what car was it again? I think it was a it was a Dodge. Um, and I think at the time GM was kind of running things then, um, and they had some issues with getting parts for the vehicle. And because of that, it, he used to just tell me how frustrated he is with, 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 you know, kind of the brand. But now in hindsight, it's, it's not really the brand's fault. Ultimately, it's just the fact that, you know, kind of the, the macroeconomic factors are really impacting the fact that you can't get the service delivery that you need fast enough. I mean, it's that or just going after markets. I don't think people want to do that much. Yeah, especially with a vehicle that's in warranty, I suppose. 100%. What about dealership? Do you think a brand with more footprints would, um, in terms of dealerships, would have better appreciation or rather less depreciation, I think, is more more appropriate? I would imagine so. And, I mean, it probably goes down to that supply chain issue where you get mm. – better service, quicker service turnaround times um, from your local dealership if you don't have to wait. And I, and I think consumers are, mm. like today's consumers are very much instant gratification type people where uh, you don't want to wait for anything because you feel you don't have to. Um, and yeah. so, so when you want to take your car for a service and you have to drive 30 minutes to get to the dealership, you know, kind of like they're opening a Suzuki dealership here near to where I live. Um, Suzuki has done so well in the last two years that uh, um, you need to now deliver on that service. You've sold the cars, mm. consumers have bought them, mm. got to deliver on the service and that's what they're doing, opening up dealerships everywhere. So uh, so that then kind of will reinforce the, reinforce the Suzuki brand and that kind of virtuous circle will just continue. Yeah. Hundred um, percent. Before I get into like kind of the last point, if you had to say for anybody who has one of the brands we've mentioned, such as let's say Jeep um, or Renault, you've bought the car already. How do you protect its value over time? What would you say are the things that you can do in your control outside of the market to make sure that when it's time to go on instant offer or to sell your car, you know you get to you, you're able to to get the best out of it. Like what would you like? What sort of tips would you give them? Um, so there is a there is a there is a very big correlation between mileage and value. So let's start there. The, the the biggest impact on a car is how much it's been used. A used car is mm. a used car because it's been used a certain amount. So so keep the mileage low. Now that's counterintuitive because when you buy a car, you want to use it. So. Mm. So if you want to limit its depreciation, try and keep the car to under 25,000 Ks a year because anything above mm. 25,000 Ks a year kind of feels to the buying consumer perhaps that it's um, been used more than average. You know, in Joburg, in Gauteng, you're probably looking at more like 30,000 Ks a year, maybe more. In Cape Town, probably, you know, 20,000 Ks and under. Um, okay. In terms of in terms of mileage per annum that that people drive, 
So I'd say mileage is the first one. The second thing is full service history. Keep up the services on the car. Um, uh, make sure that there's a record of its history. Because when somebody comes to buy that car off you, that's the one thing they're going to look for is, has this car been abused? Has it been in an accident? Is there a service history? Um, can you prove that it hasn't had an accident? You know, be transparent about, yeah. about the car and it's, and it's where, and where it's been. Um, you know, everybody loves the story of this car was driven by, you know, my grandmother and hasn't done that much mileage and all that stuff. <laughs> Those things yeah. are true. You know, although mm. I don't know if uh, if the grandmother is going to be too easy on the clutch if it's got a clutch. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah, I mean, my grandmother, maybe. I mean, I've seen her drive, so I think mine mine will be okay. <laughs> but something that you touched on earlier is um, is Porsche. So luxury brands are something where I think that's where changes. But I think I think that's such an open ended statement. I think luxury brand is. I think special or rare um, models specifically in cars, they will also retain their value. In fact, in, in some cases, we've seen that they appreciate. Um, well, that's very and, rare. That's even very, Even in the very last rare. year, even the not so special, even, yeah, no, 100%. Even the non-luxury brands such as the you mentioned earlier, or the, let's go with the car that received a lot of attention, which was the, so the Toyota, the hybrid. Uh, I forgot what it was called now. Toyota Cross Hybrid? Uh, yeah, Toyota I Cross. mean, it appreciated. Well, that's because the so, demand was so that, high. Uh, you know, we, we saw we saw that with um, uh, with the C Class when the C Class hit the market. You know, you could buy a second hand C Class for more than a new one because you couldn't get new ones. Demand was way more than the supply, like as in through the roof. And in those scenarios, you get a very short little bubble that occurs. Um, you know, I, I believe in bubbles, but bubbles always burst. And that bubble is, you could probably pick up a secondhand vehicle in those instances and not pick up, you could sell a secondhand vehicle for more than you paid for it because, because there are so, there's so much demand. Um, and, and the same thing happened with the C-Class. When the C-Class hit the, um, hit the roads uh, in South Africa, you couldn't get one for the love of anything. So, so people were selling their second-hand C-classes and making money on it. You know, I'm talking about second-hand C-classes with you know limited mileage. Yeah, of course. No, agreed. So, I mean, that's kind of, in summary, I think it kind of it just de- depends on how you treat your vehicle. Uh, they'll when you're selling the car specifically, um, and keeping that mileage down, that's going to help retain the most amounts of value. Exactly. Um, and help it depreciate less. Exactly. Um, but in terms of the brands, it just, you know. Uh, it ebbs and, it ebbs and flows. I mean, there's no, <clears throat> there's no, there's no one brand that is definitively off the table when it comes to depreciation. Every single brand is going to depreciate and it's going to come down to the promises the brand makes delivered to the consumer, to consumer realizing that those promises are actually real. The product lives up to those promises um, and then, uh, and then, and then have that reinforcing kind of virtuous circle. Right? Look at Suzuki. Suzuki is a classical example. There are Suzuki dealerships opening everywhere, and the reason for that is because they're setting mm-hmm. up the reinforcement of their service turnaround. So, okay, very popular vehicle, sold like hotcake. 
you know, Toyota, Toyota doesn't necessarily have to do that because they've had enough dealerships. They have enough dealerships in the country. So they just have to kind of keep up the service delivery of, uh, um, of their current dealership base. But Suzuki is an example of selling like hotcake, opening up more dealerships, proving to the consumer that they can turn the, the serviceability of the car around. Um, um, and the consumer is going to start loving the brand because the brand, the uh, loving, loving a car brand is, I think, a lot about the functional part of the car. And, uh, and, and this is even yeah. more with EVs than anything else because we've seen in the, um, yeah. EV buyer surveys that consumers care less about the brand than they do about the function of the car to a consumer. I mean, to me, I, I, I mean, I'll say it outright. An EV is not an ice vehicle. It doesn't matter what any journalist says. An EV is not a traditional ice vehicle. You can't even compare the two. And those who are trying to compare the two, um, you're trying to compare chalk and cheese. It just, it just can't compare. And it fits into, I think it fits into that world of um, what a consumer cares about. And the consumer from an EV perspective yeah. cares about the, the, they trust that this technology is so simple that they don't have to worry about reliability. Like every EV is going to be reliable. Um, so therefore brand becomes irrelevant except for when they start experiencing the car. And now brand will start to become important after they've experienced the car. Yeah, maybe there's an opportunity there for, so for us to find out you know, which to prefers faster. A similar EV versus, um, well, it's, it's ice kind spot or, you know, the EV. I think I'd, you know. I'd, like I said, I mean, I, you can't even compare. You the, the EV. Can't compare ice vehicles and EVs. EV mm-hmm. is a different, totally different product. Totally different. And uh, anybody that's trying to put an EV side by side with an ice vehicle, you're wasting your time. 100%. Moving on, so I found a few interesting articles where I wanted to get your opinion on. Um, it's three, so it won't be too long. But the first one is so vanity license. So this is the personalized licenses. It turns out there was a study that was done about a month ago um, that found that people who have personalized licenses are dumber, and I say dumber, according to the IQ test that was performed. Now, do you have any thoughts on vanity licenses? Are you a fan? Um, you know, how do you feel about the study based off of that? Just that one statement. I think having a, a, a personalized number plate is dumb. Um, like, what is the what value does it add? Honestly, <laughs> uh, I'm not saying the person driving the car so is dumb. So you never want to have a vanity license. The, the, the yeah. research shows that, the, you know, it shows the IQ, you know, in terms of 2,000 drivers and the intelligence quotient. I'm not saying the person. I just think it's a dumb idea. It's a waste of money, um, firstly. And what is the mm. purpose? What are you trying to prove if you've got a vanity plate? I mean, I'm ranting on about it now. But, like, um, in terms of what you sent me in the IQ score, so, so those that have vanity plates um, scored an IQ of 91.95 with those – Without personalized place, scored an average of ninety four point one five. So, you know, how was the distribution of the people that the they sampled? The but the proof's in the in the in the study. So um, what's fifty fifty? Pardon? 
Yeah. No, they got a they got a fair sample size in terms of both. It was fifty fifty. Uh-huh. Um so you know. Yeah, so I mean we'll, we'll look I'm a fan of vanity plays. I, I love a good funny vanity play that like Yeah, you know, it's that, like a good it's like a good it's like a good meme, you know. Um But would I would I have vanity? Hundred percent. Nah, I don't think so. Okay, next one is uh, five obscure facts you probably don't know about cars. So I'm just going to run through all of them, and you can tell me if you knew this. The first one, Ford had actually planned to build a nuclear-powered car. I do know this, um, and uh, it never happened, but uh, they did. They do have the designs for it. Yeah, I think they got the, pa- the pattern ready, you know, kind of years ago, but for obvious reasons, Probably not the best idea. Well, you want to be driving around a nuclear bomb? Become a missile. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's a bit bit sketchy. Uh-huh. Then the first world, well, the first speeding tickets, uh, do you know which year that happened? The very first speeding ticket. And for so, how fast? Well, so I spoke about this on uh, Cliff Central uh, weeks back, uh, maybe months back. Um, first speeding ticket was actually uh, in the first car, the Benz. Um, so yes, I did know that, and that's only because I kind of researched it to speak 100%. about it on, on Gareth Cliff Show. Hundred percent. So that was thirteen kilometers when the speed limit was around four. So, I mean, he wasn't like moving super fast, but well, thirteen kilometers an hour is was, like sprinting uh, speed. I think I think a human can run faster than thirteen k's an hour. Uh, so average. Sprinting speed of a human. I bet you it's around 25Ks. You're right. It's 21, well, no, 21 miles per hour in kilometers per hour in kmph. Uh, that's, that's much faster. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's about like 40. Yeah, so a typical 100-meter sprint in 15 seconds, with gen, in a, from a general point of view, which means an average human sprinting speed of 24 kilometers per hour. So... This car was driving at jogging speed. 100%. And they got the tickets. The ticket was for one rand in today's money. Um, so it wasn't too bad. But, you know, I'm sure he wasn't happy to get the first speeding ticket ever. Average, jogging, the next one is, average jogging speed of a human is uh, mm-hmm. six miles per hour, which is roughly 10 kilometers an hour. So, so you could jog faster than this car. You could have just, you know, you could have dodged it if it was coming your way. Yeah. You would have a lot of time, I think, <laughs> to get out of the way, essentially, if it was coming for you. What is this, 1896? Number three. So $1 spend, in 1896 yep. in 2023. So $1 in eight, from 1896 is worth 35 US dollars today. Okay. Well, there, there it is. It's, it's a little bit more than... Yeah, I mean, that's about the equivalent of how much our speeding tickets are now, I think. So it's not too bad. Not too bad. No bias there. Okay, so how long do you think we spend in traffic each each year? Oh, this is interesting. I have spoken about this before, but I can't remember what the answer was. 36 hours. So 36 hours like per annum? day and a half. Are you sure yeah, it's that low? 36 hours. Sure. I would think it's a lot more in South Africa. I mean, this. These, I feel these like I spend like, thirty-six hours in traffic per week. I I spend at least, yo, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say a lot more than that. So I think a month I'd spend about thirty six hours. I mean, um, I know people that come to so Autotrader's yeah, office in uh, in Randburg um, that spend one and a half hours per trip. That three hours a day. That's fifteen hours a week. Mm. Yeah. No, that's that's me. Last two, I'm gonna just quickly speed. I'm gonna go them uh, through them quickly so we can speak about some F one. But last two. So on average, do you know how long it takes to get to the moon? It's like one for context, the Earth's circumference is about forty thousand k's. Yeah, and the moon the is like millions of kilometers away. Four thousand. How many? The moon is millions of miles away. Millions of kilometers away. I think it's three hundred eighty-four thousand. Thousand kilometers. Away, so it's not okay. too far. Okay. Yeah. Um, not too far. But it takes about four months if you had to drive a car at one hundred twenty k's to get there. Ah, so. okay. Okay. A little bit of context there. And then lastly, the car with the highest mileage, 5.2 Ks. So I found that quite interesting. It was a Volvo. 5.2 wondering. Um, so, you know, Volvos. Okay, let's talk about F1. The car that's not a car is winning. Yeah, so F1, what did you think about the race? What did you think about the race first and foremost? <laughs> uh, you know what? I think I think Red Bull should just stay at home because they're not racing. Mm. Yeah, they they're so much faster than everybody else. Yeah, um, and it seems to come down it's to ridiculous, ridiculous. from from what I've seen, it seems to come down to aerodynamics. That's what seems to be the the difference. It's got very little to do with engine. It's got a lot to do with aerodynamics. I think aerodynamics as well as how they manage the. Um, I don't know what's the term, but essentially how much air is, is getting into the engine, um, which, you know, will impact reliability, but also how, how efficient the engine works. Mm. And, I mean, you can see the, the, the proof is in the pudding. That, that, that car is just amazing. Um, and we saw what happened. Uh, I don't think Horner wanted Sergio to win, but good for them. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I think good for them. Um I think uh, uh, what's his name um, Perez. Um, mm. That is uh, Sergio Perez. Um, I, I just yeah, I, I, he thinks he's better than Verstappen, and he's not. Um, you know, and 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 like I'm glad Verstappen took the last, you know. Um, uh, fastest lap from him because it just proved first happened proved in that moment like I can do this if I want. Hundred percent. So hundred percent. So right, I, let's see what happens. I think we I think we're in for a good season. Uh, Perez isn't going to stand a chance. He doesn't stand a chance. There's no way. He might think he does, but he doesn't stand a chance. There's no no freaking way. I've got more money on Alonso than Perez. <laughs> let's see what happens. I mean, Alonso to come third, so. He's also in the running. But that's pretty much all the time we have for today's episode. George, thank you so awesome. much for another episode. Uh, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Cheers. See you next time.